0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. We are continuing in our journey through uh, the book of Genesis. I always want to say the gospel of Genesis. It is not the gospel of Genesis, but the gospel is in it, as you'll see. Uh, we're in the book of Genesis again today, Genesis chapter 18, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis after t- uh, chapter 18. We've been uh, recently studying about this guy named Abram, last week his name was changed to Abraham, uh, not, not last week, it was like thousands of years ago this happened, but we, we, learned it, we learned about it last week. Uh, and this week we're going to look at a particular reality in the life of Abraham to kind of Set the stage for that. Let me ask you guys a question: Do you know what it's like to have a really good friend? There are very few things in life that are as valuable than a really good, genuine, not going anywhere friend. Um, I read where there was a publication one time that uh, offered a prize for the best definition of friend. I thought it would be helpful for us today. There were thousands of of entries given, and one of them was, a friend is one who multiplies joy, divides grief, and whose honesty is unbreakable. Another said that uh, a friend is one who understands our silence. One person described friend as a volume of sympathy bound in cloth. Someone said, a a friend is a watch that beats true for all time and never runs down. And the winning definition said, a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. So as we've been journeying through Genesis, uh, again, in the past few weeks, we've been looking at this guy named Abraham. And we've seen Abraham be unfaithful, have we not? We've seen Abraham doubt God's promise and doubt God's goodness. But in Abraham's unfaithfulness, we've seen God remain faithful, haven't we? So Abraham in several places in in scripture is called a friend of God. Did you hear that? Abraham is called a friend of God. For example, in 2 Chronicles 20, We see the people praying to God and asking, they said, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? In Isaiah chapter 41, God himself calls Abraham his friend. He says, But you Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. This is an incredible reality that God is calling a mere man his friend. I mean, what what does it mean to be a friend of Yahweh God? What does that even look like? To be a mere human being and have God, eternal God, all-powerful God, omniscient God, all-knowing God, all-loving God, holy God, call you, call Abraham, his friend? Well, that's what we're going to look at today, and so we're going to pick up in the book of Genesis chapter 18 together, and as we've done in past weeks, we're going to kind of use the first part of the chapter as like context, and then we'll dig in, uh, fork and knife, with the last part of the chapter. So let's begin Genesis chapter 18, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on since you've come to your servant. So they said, do as you've said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sayas of flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man and prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent, but the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? And say, Shall I indeed bear a child, now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. <laughs> then the men set out from there, and they, took down, uh, toward so- they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to see them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of earth shall be blessed in him. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he's promised him. And then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they've done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I'll know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abram stood before the Lord. Then Abram drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put righteous, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right or what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him and said, suppose 45 or 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let the, not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose ten are found there? He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is an incredible, uh, an incredibly intimate conversation between a regular guy and the lord of heaven and earth it's amazing here a mere human being is being spoken to as one friend speaks to another by god himself so what does that mean to be a friend of god that's what we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about being a friend of god is about several things the first thing i want us to see is that being a friend of god Is about having fellowship with God. The World English Dictionary states that fellowship is the act of people sharing activities, goals, interests, duties, trials, troubles, and the like with one another in a group. That's the kind of relationship that Abraham wants with God himself. Here's the crazy thing. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with Abraham, too. These two are meeting. If we can understand who God is, and we've seen who Abraham is, he's a lot like us, is he not? Then it should literally blow our minds that God wants this kind of relationship with this dude Abraham, this unfaithful guy Abraham, this doubting guy Abraham. God wants fellowship with him, um, we've seen we've already already seen since the beginning of this account with Abraham, God Himself has shown up and visited Abraham personally multiple times, has He not? Abraham has seen the Lord. Abraham has visited with the Lord, and here again, the Messiah who will be born as a, as Jesus two thousand years later through this the lineage of Abraham now shows up again. And chapter 19 says uh, that these two guys he shows up with are angels. So the Lord is showing up with angels in, in physical form, and he sits down and has a meal with Abraham. Abraham doesn't know why they're there. They're just coming along, and he says, Oh, look, it's the Lord again. And he has guests with him, and Abraham says, Don't, don't pass me by. Will you stay? for a little bit. Will you stay with me? And then, then you can be on your way. Lord, God, will you hang out with me? And what does the Lord say? Yes. Yes, Abraham, I will hang out with you. I will have fellowship with you is what the Lord saying? You know, friendship directly involves fellowship. Abraham, make note of this in your mind abraham is not looking to be god's acquaintance and god is not looking to be abraham's acquaintance acquaintances can you know they can be somebody that you've either you've known them for just a little while or you've known them for a long time but being an acquaintance versus a friend does it's not about the time that you've known the person it's about the quality and type of time you spend with the person um Maybe an acquaintance, you can consider it like this. An acquaintance is somebody that, you know, when you see them, you get along good. Or, I'm sorry, fine. My grammar is not good. So you may get along just fine. You have conversations. And, and when you see that person, you know, um, everything's good. And when they see you, they're glad to see you. But the two of you don't make intentional plans to see one another out unless, like, on purpose. If you happen to run into each other at the same time in the same place, great. That's a great person. They think I'm a great person. We'll hang out, and we'll talk about surface things. We'll talk about, like, the weather. We'll talk about politics. We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about whatever current event's going on. But it's kind of here, and it's kind of whenever you run into one another. You aren't making intentional plans, and things are kind of on the surface That's an acquaintance. Abraham and the Lord are not mere acquaintances. They are not friends of a friend. They are directly friends with one another. They're not acquaintances. The Lord, again, has intentionally visited Abraham several times, has he not? And what happens when the Lord, Abraham thinks the Lord's just passing by, Abraham says, Lord, will you spend some time with me? Abraham wants time with God. God wants time with Abraham. You you guys don't get this. This is crazy. God of heaven and earth wants time with Abraham. Um, So I want us to just pause for a second and consider what you and I are being offered in the gospel. In the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done on the cross, we are offered to be in the spiritual line of Abraham. We are offered to be, check this out, you and I, like Abraham, are offered to be friends with God. Wrap your head around that. You are offered to be a friend of the maker of heaven and earth. You're offered to be friends with God himself. Um, God wants to spend time with you. God wants to share your troubles with you. God wants to walk with you in your life. This is amazing stuff. So let's pause and think. If God, the creator, righteous, judge of the earth, almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, wants to be your friend... Wants to spend time with you, wants you to walk with him, wants to be with you in your life. And as a Christian, check it we're not just offered God with us, but by his spirit and by what Christ has done, we are offered God in us. Can you imagine? That's the kind of friendship God wants with you. So pause and ask yourself man, if God wants to be my friend, why would you, why would I ever? be content with just being God's acquaintance? Why would we be content with just meeting with God in passing and not desiring fellowship with Him? It sounds crazy that we would forfeit friendship with God in hopes that we could just be his acquaintance. We can meet him when it's convenient for us. You know, that's how it works out with acquaintances. If they happen to be there, I'll talk to them. That's cool. But I'm not not interrupting my schedule to spend time with them. That's an acquaintance. It sounds crazy to think we would choose to be God's acquaintances rather than God's friends, but don't we do it? Real talk, do we do it? We do. And I say we because I'm part of we, right? We do it in our lives. Uh, It reminded me of something that C.S. Lewis said, surprise, surprise, C.S. Lewis quote. Um, C.S. Lewis says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house, and at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew about those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. He's throwing up a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage but he's building a palace, and he intends to come and live in it himself. See, I think the reason that we are willing to forfeit friendship with God and merely be his acquaintances is because friendship with God involves difficulty. Because God wants to change us through his friendship with us. And that often doesn't look like we thought it would look. We thought it would look easy. We thought that being shaped and molded into the image of Christ would be something that was, um, would make you happy all the time. It doesn't look like that. Do you guys realize that because you're a sinner and because I'm a sinner, because we are sinners, we only learn certain things through difficulty? Do we know that? And any time, man, any time we are in fellowship with the real God who's actually there, not the one we make up in our heads, but the real God who's actually there, it's going to rub us the wrong way sometimes. He's going to polish us. He's going to burnish us. He's going to make us beautiful. And that involves some friction, doesn't it? So I think that's well, one of the reasons, and I think C.S. Lewis is on top of it there, that we can tend to forfeit like real, actual fellowship, friendship with God, and just be content uh, with being his acquaintance. Listen, um, friendship is God. Friendship with God is God living with you, and by grace and through Jesus and the presence of God's Holy Spirit, it is God living within you. If you don't get that, um, you're not going to appreciate friendship with God. If we're not reminded of that, we're going to miss out. And I'm telling you, if you're not living in in friendship with God like that, God in your life and God in you, God directing you and guiding you, you submitting to him, him heaping love on you and shaping you and changing you, then you're not living as humans were meant to live. You may not realize, but man, you're missing out. Um, Another metaphor We talked about it uh, in in our particular home group. C.S. Lewis says it's not that our appetites for things are too strong, they're too weak. We're satisfied with a life without God. We're satisfied, C.S. Lewis describes it, that we like eating mud pies and playing in the dirt, but God is offering us a buffet by the sea. God is offering us life with himself. God is offering us life with the creator, a life that's fulfilling and rich, and even in the difficult Times is deeply meaningful and transformative. This is the life that God is offering us. And I pray that we can get a glimpse of that today and be drawn into that today. So, being a friend of God is about having fellowship with God. It's also about trusting in God. This is something we've hit on throughout our time in Genesis, so I'm not going to dwell here too long. But we need to be reminded that friendship involves trust. In fact, it's kind of the Friendship or trust is at the core of friendship, is it not? You're willing to be closer friends with people the more you trust them. You're like giving your heart to somebody, right? And so if I can trust them more, then I'm, I'm willing to move past the, the friend zone and into the, uh, the acquaintance stage, and I'm willing to be deeply involved. I'm willing to have fellowship with people that I trust. And so um, I just want to be reminded here that Sarah... Focused on herself. She's like in our passage, she's like, you know, uh, now, now check it. She knows the Lord Himself is physically outside the door visiting with Abraham. He's brought angels with him. She's behind the door listening. She hears the Lord present. Make again the promise uh, Sarah is going to have a child. And what does Sarah do? She's not focused on the presence of the Lord, she's focused on the presence of her age and how she's like, I'm, I'm worn out, Abraham's old, and our old decrepit selves, there's no way we can have children. So she laughs at herself. She's making fun of herself. There's no, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. When we are more focused on our limitations and our particular difficulty in life, not focused on the Lord, they could, we can lose trust in the Lord, and that's what Sarah has, has done here. So again, Um, we need to ask, like we've asked before, are we willing to trust the Lord even when things don't look like we think they should look? It doesn't look like the Lord's promises are being delivered. Are we willing to trust? We've spent time on that in the past, uh, but just be reminded that friendship with God involves trusting Him. It also involves, though, honoring God. Friendship with God involves honoring Him. And I think this is important uh, for us to kind of point out here Because, yes, God is your friend in Christ, but he's also God. He's also, God is not your, Jesus is not your buddy. When you talk to God, it's like, what's up, bro? No, 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 no. He is God. You might, you might mistakenly read this passage as though Abraham is in some way arguing with God. He's not. If you look at it really closely, Abraham in his heart is, is bowed low before God. In several places, he says things like, I have dared to speak to God. I, am, I, am, I can't believe I'm so bold to ask these things Abraham's tone is low he's bowed low even though he's talking to God his friend he's recognizing God as God like in for example uh, in verses 30 through 32 he says oh let not the Lord be angry and I'll speak he's afraid to open his mouth to the Lord He says, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. He says, Oh, let not the Lord be angry again in verse 32, and I will speak again but this once. Abraham realizes something that I want us to recognize today as well. We do not approach God as equals. We do not. He is with you. He loves you. He wants fellowship with you, but he is God and you are not. When we are... um, when we are in friendship with someone, we really know them. They really know us. We treat that person for who they are, not for who we think they are or want them to be. And we want them to treat us for who we really are, not who they want us to be. God is the same way. We should treat God for who he really is. And listen, God is not like us. He's not like us. He is God. He is Perfect in holiness, in majesty, authority, and power. He is the very definition of what is true, beautiful, and good. He is not like us. Um, so we... How um, do I want to say this? God offers you to approach his throne in grace because of Christ, but do not approach God lightly. Don't approach God in a flippant kind of way. Don't approach God as equals. Um, one author said about God's power, he said it's like a storm. It, it's magnificent to look at from a distance, but it's dangerous if we presume to draw near unprepared. Um, so being in friendship with God is to properly value and honor God for who he really is. And when we do that, we recognize he's creator, we are creation. And though he's my friend, I'm speaking to God. Um, so you may say, um, you know, on a practical level as a Christian, yeah, I want to honor God. Anybody want to honor God? Yeah, sure. So how do we do that? Like, okay, yes, we need to honor God. Practically speaking, though, how do we do that? I think we can find a couple of examples in the life of Abraham, um, and I could, I could testify in my own life, and maybe you would be able to as well. I think one thing that we've seen Abraham do well is honor God even in difficulty, Abraham's still on the journey, is he not? He has not checked out on God, even though things have gotten difficult. Have there been times of doubt for Abraham? Yes. Have there been times of of like Abraham not living up to faithfulness? Yes. But Abraham is still on the journey with God. He still wants time with God. He's still recognizing God as God. So um, one thing we can do to grow in honoring God is to choose to honor God in the hardship. could okay, choose to honor God when it's hard in life. Honoring God is not about feeling a certain way. It's about choosing a certain thing. It's about choosing to recognize that He's God. He knows best. I couldn't possibly understand everything He's doing, even if He were to lay it all out in front of me. And so I throw my hands up not to quit but to praise, I throw my hands up saying, Lord God, <laughs> you are God, I am not, and I'm going to honor you right now as God. I'm not going to seek to wrestle my life out of your hands as though that were possible. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to relinquish uh, any like uh, notions of authority I have over myself. You are God. I think that's a practical way we can honor God. Uh, I may not know what he's doing, but I do know him, and I'm going to honor him even when it's difficult. That's one way to cultivate honoring God. I also think um, we can honor God by practicing stillness before him. Stillness. This is, this is, Abraham's got all kinds of things going on in his life. We're going to see he's going to have to go rescue Lot here in a little bit, next chapter, things like that. But what does Abraham want with God? He's not asking God to give him anything. Abraham wants time. He wants time with God. So I, one way I think we can, can cultivate honoring Lord, the Lord is by being with the Lord. I read one author that said, One of the biggest forces working against a spirit of reverence and awe is the constant flood of information, images, videos, Social media feeds, podcasts, TV shows, movies, playlists, and news stories we consume, and I would say consume us, on a daily basis. It's hard enough to have a complete thought with all the information coming at us, let alone a worshipful one. So, are you a Mary or a Martha, they say in church circles, right? Are you always running around looking to do things? Um, Let me ask a question. This is a personal question. I didn't plan on asking this today. Are you afraid of silence in your life? Maybe you wouldn't think that out loud, but do you find yourself when it's just you and there's nothing to do? Does that bother you? You have trouble being content in those times, if that's you, then I would recommend using the time, that silence, that quiet, to fellowship with God who's there all along. You're not by yourself. He's with you. And in the stillness, in the quietness, he wants to have Fellowship. With you. If that's not you, if you are, man, you love quiet. This is me. I love being by myself. I love when it's quiet. Um, I need to recognize that that quiet time is not primarily about me, it's about me and God. God wants that quiet time. And so let's cultivate some quiet to just sit before the Lord. Okay, so but how do you do that? Maybe go outside and go for a walk with God. Do you know you can do that? Do you know you can legit walk with God? You don't have to have a, a podcast in. You don't have to have music. You can legit walk with the Lord. You can pray to Him. You can speak to Him. You can look out at His creation and see what He has made and say, Oh my goodness, look at these fall colors. Feel the breeze. I hear the leaves rustling when I walk. I hear dogs barking. I hear kids laughing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, these things are magnificent, but they are designed to point me to their creator. They are designed to cultivate in my heart a sense of wonder and awe at who God is. Maybe take an hour, drive up to the parkway and sit and look at what God has made. You know, his creation declares his glory. That's what it's for. And we, when we begin to sit down and be still and look out upon his creation, what happens, particularly for Christians that have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, what that cultivates in us is that we begin to declare his glory too. We begin to say, like we sang this morning, my God, how great you are. My soul begins to sing. I'm having fellowship with God and I honor God And when I honor God, I have fellowship with God. He draws near to us. He inhabits our praises. So I think these are two really practical ways we can cultivate honoring God in our lives. Additionally, being a friend of God is about loving what God loves. Loving what God loves. Both for mercy and for righteousness. We're going to see that in our... Passage today, we need to be reminded that God is loving. Yep, He wants He wants you to be His friend, but again, He's God. He's also just, and so He has to punish sin. Look at verses twenty and twenty-one. God lets uh, Abraham know that God's sending the angels on. You go ahead and check things out. God says that He's heard. That there's a great evil taking place in these cities and the angels are going to go as his representatives and kind of confirm the report. Now keep in mind this is being told in human terms so we can understand what's going on. Clearly God doesn't have to actually uh, go down and visit things to know what's going on. He just knows things. That's part of what being God is. He knows all things, but what's being described here is very similar to what happened at the Tower of Babel way back in, when we were in that place of, of uh, Genesis, is that this is a legal, judicial accounting of what's taking place. It's um, showing that there's an investigation, that God is going to act justly. He's about to bring a pretty, the most severe judgment uh, upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And what he's demonstrating here is he's not haphazard about it. He's careful about it. He's measured about it. Um, He's very determined. He weighs what he's going to do. I think that's what Moses, in writing, putting this in Genesis um, as part of the history, is reminding us about, that God God is not, he's righteous and he will punish sin, but he's not light about it. He's heavy about it. He's deliberate about it. He's measured. So he's going to take an, an, an accounting here of what's taking place. And I think also God is concerned that Abraham, his friend, sees that he's righteous about it. Abraham's pleading with God. God, there are there's a whole city. Will you spare that city? I know they're wicked, God, but will you spare them? If there's just 50 righteous people... In the whole city, God, please, will you spare them for 50 righteous? The Lord says, yeah, I'll spare them for 50 righteous. Abraham says, well, what about 45? The Lord says, yeah, I'll, I, if there's 45, I'll do it. And they work down and they work down. And Abraham says, Lord, if there's just 10 righteous, will you spare? And the Lord says, if there's 10 righteous, I'll spare the whole place. I'll spare the whole place for their sake. So he wants Abraham to know, Abraham, I'm not taking this lightly. God... um wants Abraham to know that his judgments are good. The, the judgments of God that we read in the Bible are really fierce, and they're going to be as we get to chapter 9 and following. Um, but God does not act in fits of rage like, uh, like gods in pagan religions or, or false views of God that skeptics will lay upon the God of the Old Testament these days. This is not a fit of rage. This is God hearing about real, legit evil, as we're going to see. And he gives a real, legit, careful, measured, judicial accounting of what's going on. He says, and if their evil is full, so to speak, I'll bring judgment. And then even though in that judgment we see that God is merciful, if there's only ten righteous people, I won't only spare the righteous, I'll spare everyone. I'll hold off. I'll hold off. I'll be measured in my judgment. Um, and so for Abraham's sake, God sends the angels down to check things out. And I think for our sake as well, we've got to be reminded that God himself, uh, 2 Peter tells us, is not willing that any would perish. First Timothy tells us that God will have all men to be saved. In Ezekiel 33, God himself says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. So the primary issue here is not what kinds of sin that people commit. We know that all sin uh, renders us, or any sin renders us guilty before God. I would say, though, that there's a difference in sin about how much it reveals human depravity. Um, But the point is that the, the wages of sin, what we get paid for sin, the fruit of our sin, is death. Sin brings us physical death, that is, Uh, In the Bible, death means separation. Physical death is when your soul is separated from your body. That's physical death. Spiritual death, then, is when our souls are separated from relationship with God. Both are horrible. But the second, spiritual death, is permanent and is far worse, is infinitely worse than the physical death. But God doesn't desire death for us. God does not desire that the wicked perish. And if we love what God loves, we shouldn't desire that the wicked perish either. Now you may say that, uh, well, I I don't. I don't really desire that. Abraham is pleading for mercy on the righteous. But remember, also that mercy on the righteous would be mercy upon the wicked. God would have spared the whole place if there were just ten righteous people in there. Abraham is an intercessor. An intercessor is somebody who comes in between and and pleads for mercy on behalf of another, particularly in prayer. That's what Abraham is doing. So I want you to stop if you're a disciple of Jesus and ask, do you love what God loves? Do you desire to see people who are in sin repent Or do you low-key kind of enjoy seeing people get what they deserve? For example, there's a Christian comedian this past week who was caught in like a harassment situation. How many of you maybe enjoyed the entertainment of following that story? How many of you low-key want Kanye to not be Christian? How many Christians wanted Tim Tebow to lose his testimony so they could justify their own living? Do we really want people to be righteous, or do we want people who... Okay, what about, again, this Christian uh, comedian who fell? There's all kinds of Christian pastors who fall. What happens in your heart? What's your, what's your response when you see people fall in or, or dive headfirst into wickedness? Do you want them to repent? Is your heart broken for them? Is your primary thing, man? I knew that was coming. Or is your primary thing, oh Lord, will you will you please have mercy on them? I know they need to repent. I need to repent too. I'm a sinner like they are. Do we low key want the wicked to get judged? The Lord doesn't want that. He'll do it. He's righteous. But the Lord doesn't want them to face judgment. Real talk then, uh, because Abraham was praying for the lost people as well who don't know Jesus. Are you low-key okay with people around you not knowing Jesus as long as the people in your household know Jesus? Now, you may say, no, I want everybody to know Jesus, but pull out your calendar Ask the Spirit of God to open your heart and take a look at how our lives are lived. Do we legit care enough that people know Jesus, that we will intercede? Are you praying for your lost friends, family, co-workers? Are you interceding physically? Are you telling them, please, I want you to know friendship with Jesus. Jesus loves you. You can actually be a friend of God. I want to show you in word and in deed how beautiful that is and what you're missing out on. Is that the mode of your life? It is if we love what God loves. Um, Do we care? I think we do care, but do we care enough? Um, It could be like in this passage, our faithful witness to God or to these people for God could mean that we spare people of judgment. You know, we may feel like a small little church here. We're three years old. We're just getting started. But remember God that said in this passage, he would spare the whole city for the sake of 10 righteous people. Did he say that? What impact can we have as a little church if we seek to live righteously before the Lord? If we live holy lives in here by God's grace and community together, could it be that God would have mercy on our city? It could be. We've at least seen that that's his character. It could be. Let's love what God loves. God loves righteousness. God loves holiness. God loves mercy. That starts in us. That starts in us. And then hopefully it moves us to intercede for others. Um, listen to the words of Jesus. This will be the last thing. John chapter 15, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So being God's friend is about loving God, having fellowship with him and trusting him and honoring him and loving what he loves. And Jesus says here, it means loving one another well in righteousness because we're the family of God. I hope we were reminded today that we can be friends with God and what we are missing out on when we're not in fellowship with him.